Daniel Sai is a lecturer at the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology at the University of Toronto and is joining me now to go through some of the biggest news stories of the week. Hey, Daniel, thanks for being on Toronto this weekend again. Hi, Maggie. How are you? Happy Canada Day. Thank you. All right. So I did not send you this story because it just came uh, came up today, this morning while I was checking the news. Just want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, the Canada Revenue Agency says 20 employees have been terminated after an internal review found that they had claimed COVID-19 benefits while still working at the tax authority. What I find interesting, Daniel, is that uh, this statement also says that they are, you know, these people have been fired and it's investigating about 600 employees who may have inappropriately received the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, um, despite not losing their job during the pandemic. This is scary. Yeah, it actually... um uh, surprisingly, it's not as uh, rare as people might think. Uh, a lot of people in the CRA are basically tax experts. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, uh, quite a few of them, once they get trained and learn all the loopholes, go into the private sector. I know that because uh, my background is in tax law. So I'm not completely surprised mm-hmm. by that story. And I'm also not surprised at the number of potential CRA employees that were basically uh, on the dole and also collecting a paycheck um, because we we know that the estimates are that there was over a billion dollars in fraudulent uh, CERB claims. So yeah, I, I'm not completely surprised by that, that story. Yeah, I mean, to think, you're, you're right, I mean, you know, we're looking at billions of dollars and to think that a lot of it could be in-house with at least 600 employees now being investigated uh, in this uh this uh, CERB uh, situation. All right, let's get back on track with some of the other big news stories. Uh, Of course, we have to talk about the win of Olivia Chow. She has been elected as mayor of the city of Toronto. Uh, What does this mean for the city, you think, Daniel? Well, she is uh, known for being a firebrand, uh, for being a progressive, and her Victory is, uh, you know, symbolic in many ways because she is the city's first female and visible minority uh, mayor. And so it's quite an accomplishment for her to be in the role that she's in. Uh, As well, we've had 10 years of uh, conservative uh, center-rightist leadership with uh, former mayor Tory, as well as uh, Rob Ford. And so it's quite a transition to uh, to have someone who's basically uh, known for her progressive politics. Uh, now, whether or not she'll be um, she'll keep on brand with that, or if she'll moderate her positions, uh, that remains to be seen. Does it matter that she's been out of politics for ten years? I think that's uh, that is a bit of a factor here, and also I think we see divisiveness because uh, only half. The council, um, actually not not even half, but uh, half of the council sponsored or endorsed Anna Bailao, mm-hmm. and uh, the rest were kind of divided. I mean, we knew we know that there was over a hundred mayoral candidates uh, as well. She's going into a situation where Chief is facing some major, major municipal 
uh, issues, given the fact that Toronto faces a $1.5 billion operating shortfall. Um, There's a huge housing crisis. We have this with our uh, unhoused or homeless in the city. And also the transit system, TTC, has not recovered from the pandemic. So there are fewer people taking public transit, primarily because it's also unsafe and you know violent crime has gone up and on the ttc and uh so and there's a there's an operating shortfall from the ttc because if you don't have enough riders uh there's a big problem there so she's facing some major economic and structural issues uh as mayor and uh it's an open question whether she has a plan to actually tackle those well i you know she was on the show. She said that there will be a modest hike in property tax. She wouldn't say exactly how much this has people worried. But, you know, I feel like this is the price you pay for living in a big city like Toronto. Taxes have to go up. It's inevitable. Uh, and that was actually a criticism of John Tory as well, is that it seemed like he was shuffling the uh, chairs on the Titanic. Uh, you know, there is a major $1.5 billion uh, deficit that the city of Toronto is experiencing right now. And, you know, and uh, child did go and say that she wanted to uh, approach uh, the federal government and the provincial government to find additional sources of funding for the city of Toronto. Now, does, is Toronto special than other cities? There's other cities in Canada that also face uh, funding shortfalls. Everybody wants more money, mm-hmm. but uh, ultimately the, the buck stops with the taxpayer. So um, it's an open question as to whether or not uh, her ability to get money from the feds and the province are going to be successful or if all of us are going to just pony up with more property taxes and other user fees uh, to pay for the services we get from the city. Before we move on to the next headline, what are your thoughts on the gardener? She has she's very committed to tearing down the eastern part of the gardener using that money that has been earmarked for uh, the reconstruction for TTC and other um, other services. Uh, are you in favor of tearing down the eastern part of the gardener? Well, I this goes back to uh, John Tory as well. I mean, I I don't think it's always a good idea to tear something down if there's uh, other solutions that are more economical. Um, so I think there has to be enough evidence to to drive uh that idea and as well there has to be a business plan behind it as well um and then there may be some other ways to creatively finance it uh you know as a public structure and maybe even the idea of a toll which would be mm. you know something that people don't want to hear but uh, i think i think there has to be an open discussion about what we can do to address our aging infrastructure like the gardener but let's put this in, put this in perspective Anyone that has tried to drive around downtown knows how horrific it is and how long it takes with all the road construction that never seems to end. And uh, tearing down the gardener uh, is just going to make it worse. Absolutely. Amen to that one. All right, let's move on to 20 Parks will be part of a pilot project that will see consumption of alcohol allowed. To be eligible, a park needs to have a washroom and access to drinking water, uh, be of medium size or larger, have no adjoining schools, not on the waterfront, have public transit access and be accessible by first responders 
Uh, the city also considered the local population density, proximity to multi-unit homes, and whether the pilot would disrupt summer park programming. Do we need public consumption of alcohol in parks in Toronto? Well, first of all, there's messaging confusion here. They say 20 parks, but the general public's thinking, well, any park, right? right? Exactly. That's all they've heard. <laughs> exactly. I can drink in the park now. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to educate people? I'm sorry, <laughs> sir, but this park is not on the list. Yeah. <laughs> but but I but I saw that it, that all the parks are available. Right. Uh, That's all people heard. They didn't hear the 20. They just heard drinking park. <laughs> And I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know how realistic this plan is, because if you go to any beach, uh, and I hate to say it, uh, but you go to any beach or and uh, a lot of parks, people are already drinking. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, so I I don't know what this, I don't know what the city's point of this uh, is. You know, they, they also unveiled that King Street patio program, which apparently is not doing very well because people can't pay the licensing fees. I have a feeling it's one of those ADHD plans where, you know, the city has a great big idea, but they don't realize it's not going to work and or they don't follow through on it properly. So I, I I don't see this being a great idea. You know, there's some great parks that are excluded from this that you would think would be natural places like High Park, but mm. that's off the list. And so uh, if you look at the 20 parks they did choose, um, you know, they're kind of obscure. I hate to say it. I mean, I mean, the, the only big park that kind of st stands out, there's a few of them, is Trinity Bellwoods and Christie Pitts. Yeah. But a lot of them, I'm like, I don't think a lot of people are going to be going there just to booze up. They're going to be just be thinking the beach. <laughs> well, yeah. It's not on the list. Well, especially this weekend. It's Canada Day weekend, right? Everybody has their 2-4 and they're going to be out there and enjoying their uh, their time on the beach or in the parks. Sticking with uh, municipal stories, Daniel. Uh, so, you know, we just talked about there are so many issues in the city from homelessness, people living on in parks, the sheer violence on the transit system. Um, some would say even garbage collection in the city is, uh, you know, not to par. But this week, the city decided that a plan to implement a ban on the use of two stroke engine leaf blowers, lawnmowers and other small engine equipment because of their adverse impact on air quality and human health was of top concern. <laughs> and so uh, this has now come to a committee and they're having conversations about if this should be, if these two-stroke engine uh, uh, equipment should be banned uh, in the city. I just think, you know, this is one of those things that we get to when we solve the bigger problems. I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, you'd be thinking wildfires are a bigger impediment to uh, air quality and uh, the environment. But right. it strikes me that, uh, you know, this is another measure to try to to virtue signal to show the city is doing something about the environment. But uh, they're just going to make a lot of homeowners not very happy. Um, I guess, you know, electric sales of... Uh, you know, of electric blowers and lawnmowers might go up, but I don't know how, you know, how that's going to address the fact that there are literally thousands of these pieces of equipment. Um, and then also disposing that equipment too, in order to comply with this ban. Uh, I'm not quite sure if the city really has thought about the implications. And maybe there's something else that people can do in terms of um, 
you know, saving the environment. But I, I'm not sure if this is the right measure. Yeah, the staff um, at City Hall have identified that this is there's not sufficient information to show that this is, um, you know, an issue that they have to deal with at this time. And they're not recommending a ban at this time. However, City Council uh, may decide to take precautionary approach with respect to uh, these climate health and noise factors and enact a ban regardless of the recommendations of the staff. I agree with you. I mean, how do you police this? How do you get rid of, you know, there's so many, probably I'm, I'm just thinking millions of these two-stroke engine leaf blowers and lawnmowers. How, where, do all, where does all of this equipment go? Uh, is that just not adding to the problem of the environment um, and pollution? And yeah, and then to turn everything over to electric, it, it just seems uh, like an impossible task and really not of concern at this moment, especially if the staff who have done the research are saying, yeah, maybe maybe later on, but not, not at this moment. Uh, but it seems like City Hall doesn't have a lot to do for some reason. <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, the, it does raise the question is, does the city not have some bigger issues, right? and something important to do, like TTC and uh, housing and, and the, the, you know, the, the tent cities all around in the parks? Uh, they should be doing something, you know, as opposed to just trying to micromanage. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it all the time. All right. I want your thoughts on the news of Google and Meta. They've decided that based on the recently passed Bill C-18, they will block all Canadian news content on their platforms. Uh, the Online News Act passed last week and has made it to uh, to law that um, has made it to law that platforms pay Canadian media publishers for their content, which is shared and used on their platforms. Uh, we've also heard of Google actually pulling out of some deals that they already had with some uh, media organizations as well. How do you? Um, obtain your news media, like your content? Is it on social media? Is it on Google? How do you get your news? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, I, I'll go look at Google News and I'll look at my uh, meta Facebook uh, news feed to see articles or people sharing content. Uh, but, you know, I'll also go directly to my favorite uh, sites, you know, yeah. like the Globe Mail, for instance. But I, I suspect... Uh, you know, the problem with this is it's really being driven by uh, money. So what you're seeing is Google and Meta, Facebook are pushing back against the government because the government wants to effectively tax them to support legitimate Canadian news organizations. And in the last 15 years, Canada has lost almost 500 news organizations. And we're talking community newspapers to uh, radio, TV, and a lot of that is actually related to the fact that uh, Google and Meta have a 80% market share of all Canadian online advertising. And, uh, you know, instead of advertising newspapers, people aren't doing that anymore or on TV. They're advertising with uh, online ads through these two giants. It's a duopoly. And in fact, uh, in the United States, they have aggressively pursued antitrust cl um, class actions, so basically using competition law, to go after Google and Meta Facebook for their absolute dominance of uh, the 
of on, the online space and how it's taken over from traditional media. So I think the government had the right idea, but they're, as you could say, late to the party in addressing this issue. Um, and uh, in the fact that we see Google and Meta basically saying we are not going to show Canadians or give them access on our platforms to Canadian news media, I think that's going to do a great disservice to society. And it just kind of shows that these two companies are all about the money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in talking to a couple of journalists on this show, there are mixed uh, uh, emotions to this. You know, on on one end, it's like everything the government tries to get involved in, you know, (laughs) kind of just gets all messed up and wonders if there was a different if there could have been a different approach to C-18 um, on, on the other end, you know, there are those who feel like, yeah, it's nice to be able to see your content shared on social media. Now we don't have that. And could have there could there have been some sort of other negotiation? But on the other end, to your point, we have seen the closure of so many media outlets and um, newspapers and uh, and, you know, being able to aggregate all of that information in one space, knowing that Meta and Google are cashing in on on uh you know just being able to disseminate a lot more of the content on their platforms definitely causes some concern i do wonder though and we're going to talk to somebody tomorrow on the on the show about other options besides google because there are other search engines out there daniel that we could use to um to obtain our 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 news google isn't the only one well, yeah, I mean, there's Bing, which is Microsoft, but uh, and there's a few other ones. Uh, but the thing is, you know, they have such a dominant and uh, established uh, presence that it's hard for people to change their behaviors to go with other, you know, potential forms of search and also getting their news from other sources. I think the other thing, too, is it's, it shows you how desperate the situation is when the Toronto Star is in merger talks with the National Post, Post Media, because they need to make their businesses viable. So, I mean, that is the strangest odd couple in the country. (laughs) You have a right-leaning versus a very left-leaning media properties negotiating to merge together. So that shows you how bad the situation is when it comes to Canadian journalism. Absolutely. And uh, I think we're, you know, we're, we're seeing layoffs across the board. We, you know, in many different companies, of course, the news has been uh, most recently of Bell's uh, layoffs of many notable journalists, um, as well as, you know, hundreds of people. And so unfortunately, this is the state of, of our media landscape right now in Canada. And um, it, it might just get worse before it gets better. Thanks so much, Daniel, for your input this this weekend. Have a happy Canada Day. Thank you. Same to you.